Welcome to Sound Encounters, the show where I take you on a musical journey as we explore different genres, bands and artists, and new and classic releases. I'm Cesar Torres, and I'll be your guide today. Welcome to the 33rd episode of Sound Encounters, and today I'm going to start things a bit different. I'm going to start things with some fiery discourse because I am upset. Over the weekend, Phoebe Bridgers, a well-known indie rock artist, performed on Saturday Night Live, which is kind of a a big deal for up-and-coming artists, getting that Saturday Night Live slot because a lot of people still watch Saturday Night Live. They love watching Saturday Night Live. And if you're watching the show, you have to sit through the musical performances before the show is over. And artists kind of get discovered uh, there. Um, sometimes, <laughs> like Phoebe Bridges is already pretty big because she's been nominated for Grammys. But for those a little late to the game, SNL is a great place to gain more of a following. And she performed two songs off of her most recent album, Punisher, from last year. Those tracks being Kyoto and I Know the End. And I recommend that you watch those performances. Those are fantastic performances. She's got the iconic skeleton onesie as well as this kind of variation of the skeleton onesie while she's singing I Know the End. Those are great performances anyway. She looked like she was having a good time up there especially at the end of her performance of I Know the End, where after screaming her brains out, she takes off her guitar strap and takes a guitar and just starts smashing it onto a monitor on stage. And for whatever reason, that sparked a little controversy on Twitter. And I say controversy in quotes because it's kind of ridiculous how this conversation was brought up in the first place. And I only see it on Twitter and I only see it among people who kind of have like a, uh, a Twitter bio and profile picture that indicates that they are of the Rolling Stones generation, if you catch my drift. But yeah, they're upset at Phoebe Bridgers doing this. And I remember seeing a couple tweets saying that like, oh, smashing guitars is always, it, it just screams entitlements to me. And I saw another sort of ludicrous argument because they were angling it in a way that Phoebe Bridgers, an artist who in their minds is really successful, so successful that they feel like they can ruin equipment like willingly and, you know, like, oh, how much money could have, how much money did she just waste? How much, think about like the kids, the musicians growing up who could have used that monitor or or that guitar or whatever. Um, And by the way, she is successful. I meant to that in a way of just like she's uh, Paul McCartney successful. Um, and then there were other arguments saying that like we're in the middle of a pandemic and she's smashing guitars that costs, you know, like a fortune or, or whatever. And I just had to like roll my eyes at these comments because you're just finding ways to get mad at something that tons of male rock and roll artists have been doing for decades Like it or not, she is a rock star, and smashing a guitar on stage is rock and roll 101. Using the pandemic as sort of a outlet to be upset at something is just ludicrous, and again, it makes me roll my eyes, because it's such a weak argument. They are kind of, it seems like they're kind of trying to find a way to hide their misogyny or internalize misogyny, because I've seen some 
female Twitter users being upset at this too. But I'm reading these tweets and I'm just like, grow the fuck up. She is on SNL where I, I saw a clip of Arcade Fire when they performed back in oh, middle of the 2000s or early 2010s when Butler took his guitar and started smashing it on stage because he's a rock star and it's rock and roll 101. She's also been getting a lot of attention because of her most recent album and a lot of success. So I feel like she's earned the right to smash a guitar on stage with a smile on her face because I'm pretty sure that's what every rock star wants to do. Just smash a freaking guitar like Pete Townsend or Kurt Cobain or Paul Simonon. And then there are arguments saying that, like, why would she even do that if she can't, if she's too weak to break a guitar? Again, she's just having fun. Why are you criticizing an artist who is just trying to have fun on stage? So, yeah, I really don't get the arguments for this. Um, It just screams just misogyny to me. I found this wonderful Consequence of Sound article that I retweeted on the uh, Sound Encounters Twitter. At Sound Encounters, by the way, also on Instagram follow me um by Lindsay Tisk, who goes over the history of rock stars like Kurt Cobain smashing their guitars during live performances and how they're praised for this subversive behavior because rock and roll was a male dominated genre uh, back in the day but now with female guitarists and front women it is no longer a man's genre so I just want to read a quick excerpt from this article because I think it's important and this is a very good op-ed. Bridger's guitar smashing incident is a microcosm of the perpetually unequal playing field female rock stars are subject to navigate. Unlike a handful of other genres, perhaps most notably pop, rock has always remained a very heavily male-dominated space. This is largely due to the fact that many of the genre's defining characteristics such as anger, angst, subversion, sexuality, rebellion, and an all-around heavier soundscapes have a long-standing history of being societally coded as belonging to males or being for males. And then the, and then uh, she goes on to talk about the Haim sisters and the Runaways, and I just agree with a lot of what she's saying. I definitely recommend you reading this on your own. It's a very good read. You can find it again on the Sound Encounters Twitter page. I retweeted it on February 8th. And go watch those performances. Bridgers kills it on SNL. And if you have thoughts on this incident, let me know on Twitter, on Instagram, or send me a voice message via anchor.fm forward slash Sound Encounters or soundencounters.com. There's also a link in the podcast description that'll take you to where you need to go. Let me know how you feel about Phoebe Bridgers on SNL, and we can talk about it on a future episode of Sound Encounters. Also, thank you for indulging me in this very heated discussion of female rock and roll artists. Thank you for indulging me. But let's get to the show because we have a great one this week. I'm going to talk about a mixtape that turns 10 years old this year. But first, we have to talk about this past week in music. Right, so the first single I heard this week was from Ichiko Aoba. I think I pronounced that right. Ichiko Aoba? Um, with her new single, Asleep Among Endives. Now, I love this artist. I'm not going to try to attempt to pronounce it again. Um, last year's Windswept Aiden was a serene piece 
of contemporary folk. Uh, she's released other projects in the past that I was just blown away by, especially that Pink album, which I'm pretty sure is just called Zero. Um, and she came to deliver us some more with this new track. Sparse atmosphere created by the minimalist composition of this song, which is just guitars and her vocals. And it's a gentle piece that sucks you in with its allure. It's as if Aoba is leading you through the foggy field in the cover art by the hand, while also singing softly and delicately strumming her guitar to you. So I guess she has like three hands or something. Uh, and I recommend translating the lyrics because they are very moving. I love everything about this track. It's just absolutely beautiful. Gonna stream this one for a bit. On the other hand, this new Cloud Nothings track is more upbeat with distorted guitars and energetic vocals. This one is called Nothing Without You. And while the instrumentation isn't all that impressive, as it has loud punk guitars, moderate tempo, you know, it's usual for this band's music. But I think that this was Baldi's best performance out of the handful of singles we've heard so far. The female vocalist was a nice surprise as well, whoever that is, I'm not, I'm not sure. And I did find myself liking the lyrics on this song. So surprisingly, I liked a Cloud Nothings track. Wow. Moving on, we have this new Freddie Gibbs track called Gang Signs featuring Schoolboy Q. And this is such a great track. Freddie can write a catchy ass hook and his flow on it sounds smooth and I loved it. Uh, his aggression comes out a bit on his verse, but I liked this poppier and tamer side to Freddie. It was well executed. Schoolboy has a gritty verse on here, solid delivery there as well, and we got a soulful beat with smooth keys and a trumpet in the background. This is a solid recommendation from me. Check this one out. And uh, moving on, this new Julian Baker single, Favor, is pretty great. I love the vocal harmonies of Baker, Lucy Dacus, and Phoebe Bridgers. Love the breakbeat drums, love the atmospheric guitars and strings. Uh, instruments and effects start to bleed and distort together, and it sounds very disorienting, very psychedelic. I love how Julian is making a completely different type of song from what we heard on her 2017 album. So I'm looking forward to her up upcoming project. Moving on, we got this new Cardi B. This one is called Up, and it's a certified banger because that beat goes hard and that piano part is a nice addition. Cardi comes out swinging. Her flow and delivery is aggressive, which matches the fiery lyrics. So this was a good track, and I'm looking forward to this new album. And moving on, we got Ballads by J.I.D. featuring Conway the Machine as they both rap about their rough upbringings and how they are sitting on top of the world now. Great verses from the both of them. I especially love uh, J.I.D.'s rhyme schemes. Pay attention to his verse because it's very impressive. I also love the abstract type beat. This one was produced by Big Germ and Christo. And I can't tell what they are sampling, uh, but they keep a looping it and it sounds ominous yet uplifting. You can hear it a bit better on the outro as the outro is like this ethereal sounding piece without any lyrics and it's very reminiscent of might in that way this is a fantastic track i would listen to it if you like jid and conway and it's pretty surprising that i liked almost every track this week but we have to end on a low note because this new serge tankian track elasticity is a bit of an annoying track it's a bit poppy and cartoonish the riff sounds like it wants to embody that classic system of a down energy, but it's mixed a bit low, and with Serge's very jubilant vocals, it lacks any punch that it could have had. 
And the synths are so bright. It, it felt like I was in a cartoon land, a cartoon world. And Serge himself sings these annoying lyrics, repeating irritating vocals. This one didn't sit well with me. And it looks like it's part of an EP. So thank God it's not a full release. But I didn't, I didn't really like this new Serge Tankian track. So that was all the singles that I heard this week. Time to move on to the one LP that I heard this week for the first time by Black Country New Road. It's time for a yearly post-punk band to get excited for. I'm not the only one that notices this, right? Every year, it seems like a post-punk band gets really big and everyone like just loves them. It was Black Media in 2019. Last year, it was Fontaine's DC. Uh, I guess now it's Black Country New Road. Anyway, these boys are from the UK and they've been getting a lot of buzz from the internet and it's not difficult to see why. This band combines elements of post-punk, experimental rock, post-hardcore, a bit of math rock and Midwest emo, and a dash of jazz and klezmer to create their sound. And it's a familiar one. Not only did I think they sounded like Slint, but others online are saying it too, and they even name drop the Kentucky band in one of their songs. But listening to a track like Sunglasses, which they dropped back in 2019, and appears on this album with some variation, I started grooving along to their tense and aggressive vocal and instrumental delivery. This has to be lead singer Isaac Wood's best vocal delivery, and I love the lyrics of feeling more confident in public with sunglasses on. Plus the guitars and sax are eclectic and really brings out this manic energy and builds to a very satisfying climax. It's definitely a song that is best experienced with headphones on, so make sure you have those on when listening to sunglasses. The anxiety continues on the track Science Fair, as Wood describes running away from his problems. I hear more post-hardcore tension building on this one, and the lack of release until the very end. It's an incredible payoff, as the breakdown consists of punishing synths, sax, and guitars, but the teasing of release as tense guitars crescendo, and instead of a satisfying climax, we transitioned to dissonant saxophone guitars, which made for a very gripping listen. The instrumentation during this section has its own build that gets your blood pumping as nightmarish sax and guitars play, and it's incredible. The album only has six tracks, but it makes up for its lack of songs with lengthier compositions with shifting parts. Athens, France is the track I immediately picked up on the slint influence, as the tempo is constantly changing. We have a subtle guitar and drum part. Woods' delivery is in line with Britt Welford's spoken word passages from Spiderland, and I hear the Midwest emo coming out with twinkly, arpeggiated guitars. The final track, Opus, brings in that Jewish klezmer influence with a danceable clarinet me melody, and that works really well with the high-energy rhythm section. And it's a great track featuring their dynamic songwriting as it shifts between soft and loud and fast and slow. And I love the lyrical writing of this one, as well as Wood reflects on the formation of the band and how it got them to where they are now. So overall, this is a great debut record, and I'm happy they are getting the attention online. Uh, I'm a huge fan of their genre combining, their tension building, and their outsider anxious lyrical writing not a weak track on here even the intro track is good which is only an instrumental but it's a good tone setter and and you realize what you're kind of getting yourself into for the rest of the album with the intro track i'm genuinely surprised that we got another fantastic album this early in in the year the only other album that i really loved so far from this year was mad lips sound ancestors so definitely give this one a spin if this sounds interesting and if you love post-punk post-hardcore, experimental rock, 
and Klezmer. <laughs> and that does it for this past week in music. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, I'm going to talk about a mixtape that turns 10 years old this month. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Sound Encounters. It's time to talk about a mixtape that turns 10 years old this year. And I was kind of struggling with what I what I wanted to do for this 10 years later segment. You know, a lot of great albums came out 10 years ago. We had Drake's Take Care. We just missed the anniversary of Destroyer's Kaput. Uh, Rave Death 1972, which I came so close to doing this week. Uh, Kanye and Jay-Z's Watch the Throne. And the last time I did a feature like this, I did do uh, Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. But I did want to do something a bit different for this one. I uh, wanted to do a mixtape, especially since the artist who released this mixtape means a lot to me. And this mixtape was important to the R&B genre. Ten years ago, on February 16th, Frank Ocean released his debut mixtape, Nostalgia Ultra on his Tumblr page for free. Since 2011, Frank has become a relatively popular artist, you know, releasing projects like Channel Orange in 2012, which won him a Grammy in 2013, and then releasing both Blonde and Endless in 2016, collaborating with a number of notable producers and artists like Kanye West, James Blake, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, Andre 3000, to name a few. And now in 2021, he has become a household name. Fans discuss his music constantly on social media and on forums, and they eagerly await Frank's next project. Love him or hate him, he has cemented his place in alternative R&B and is a major talking point whenever R&B is brought up. And that wouldn't have been possible if not for Nostalgia Ultra. You know, we all got to start somewhere. And it doesn't seem like Nostalgia Ultra comes up in a lot of conversations. Channel Orange and Blonde are great projects, but he has other music that we can talk about. Um, and Nostalgia Ultra doesn't get the same love that his following two projects does. So for its 10th anniversary, I wanted to see if it still holds up after all this time. And is it really up there with the likes of Channel Orange and Blonde? But before we get to that, who is Frank Ocean? Born Christopher Edwin Brew in Long Beach, California, Ocean had an attachment to music early in life as his mom would play jazz music in her car stereo, and that really interested him. When his family relocated to New Orleans, he would frequent jazz bars and parlors, which encouraged him to begin recording his own music. He would work several jobs as a teenager, such as washing cars, walking dogs, mowing lawns, to raise money for studio time. In 2005, Ocean enrolled in the University of New Orleans to study English. However, when Hurricane Katrina hit and destroyed his home and his personal recording studio, he transferred to University of Louisiana at Lafayette and stayed there briefly before dropping out to focus on his music career. In 2006, he moved out to LA to pursue his dreams and started working at fast food joints to support himself and eventually started ghostwriting for several famous artists, including Justin Bieber, Beyonce, John Legend, to name a few. And in 2009, he became a member of Oddball Hip Hop Collective Odd Future with Tyler the Creator and Earl Sweatshirt. His time with them helped him gain a new perspective on life 
and being around a person like Tyler who doesn't really take life as seriously as Frank or Earl, it helped him revitalize his songwriting process. He signed on to Def Jam Records later that year, but often felt like they were ignoring him, so he began working on his debut mixtape without their knowledge or their input. And then, on February 16th, 2011, he released Nostalgia Ultra for the world to hear. Now right off the bat, we can hear how this project stands out among other R&B projects that were released around the time. Frank has an odd selection of samples to choose from, including Radiohead, MGMT, Equals, and Coldplay. And aside from the obvious unconventional sampling of rock music for a project like this, he also incorporates them in a daring way. He doesn't just take a section of a song he likes and loops it or adds effects to it. He takes an entire instrumental, uses it uninterrupted, and then sings over it. Before listening to this project, I was pretty familiar with the band's that he uses Coldplay, MGMT, Radiohead. So to hear him sing over these instrumentals that I've been listening to for years and not hear the lyrics of the original song was jarring. And it might be for you too, but he does this on purpose to connect with the themes of the mixtape. It's called Nostalgia Ultra because he talks about old memories and tries to elicit the familiar feeling of the past. Interlude tracks are named after iconic video games such as Street Fighter, Soul Calibur, Golden Eye, Metal Gear Solid, and hearing Strawberry Swing's vibrant psychedelic guitars slowly fade in, it reminded me of my childhood because I grew up on Coldplay's Strawberry Swing, and I love how it's foreshadowed in the first track, Street Fighter, as it samples Lovers in Japan from the same album, Viva La Vida. Now, this won't really work for everyone because not everyone has heard that album, and certainly not everyone loves Coldplay. I get that. Uh, but that specific instrumental is so dreamy and whimsical that I can't imagine that it doesn't make someone feel something. And if it doesn't, then the lyrics might. As Frank recounts a childhood memory, painting strawberries on a swing, and then we quickly transition to apocalyptic imagery as the planet is burning and spaceships full of survivors are leaving Earth. I love the imagery of both this cataclysmic event and the yearning of a simpler time, in a way, I view the earth burning as Frank's childhood dying, and, and that to me is such a compelling story decision right off the bat, as it's relatable and genuine, because we all miss our childhood, I imagine. And this relatability, this very human approach to storytelling, is pretty much Frank's thesis for this project. R&B at the time didn't venture past love songs and rarely explored introspective lyricism, which is fine catchy moody songs about love sells and i'd be lying if i said that i didn't like some of that but frank wanted to make genuine songs about life that people could relate to and the result were songs grounded in reality but with a hint of fiction a bit of daydreaming if you will the following track novocaine is a story of frank meeting a girl at coachella getting high with her and then doing the hanky panky together now a story like this isn't too far of a stretch but that blissful, pulsating beat and the way he elongates syllables gives it its surreal touch. I love the atmosphere he's able to create on tracks like We All Try and Dust. The former is sensual as sublime lo-fi guitars lulls you into its world. And the latter is an ethereal and hazy ambience piece where you can feel the impact of the drums. And they both have optimistic messages. We all try as Frank being reassuring and saying we are all human and we don't need to beat up ourselves all the time. And he takes a stance against homophobia, says he is pro-choice, and says that we shouldn't limit others' lives. 
when they're trying to live their lives as much as we're trying to live ours. And Dust continues that theme and uses a library and writing as metaphors to his life, both future and past. I love the lines. Every book in here I wrote, some I'm not too proud of, some I wish I could burn, so many pages I wrote, wish I could revise them, but there's no erasing. And I love them because it's something that I had to figure out on my own. And if only I heard this while I was going through that, uh, because it would have helped me so much. Because yes, it's natural to screw up and regret things. You know, we're only human. The important part is to learn from those experiences and grow as a person. As Frank says, and the best advice I got was keep writing and keep living and keep loving, loving and living and loving. Getting back to the more personal stories, I am intrigued with how he frames things in his life. Songs for Women was a bit of a weird departure, especially after a song like We All Try, but the more I listened to it, the more I liked it for its deeper characterization of Frank and hearing his inspirations and just generally creative and funny storytelling. This is a song about how Frank wrote songs to get girls in school, and at first he sings in this lower, huskier voice, meant to mimic singers with deep voice instead of his usual falsetto singing voice. And he does this to show the boys how he sings to them. Uh, and it almost sounds like he's mocking them. The, you know, the la-da-da-da-da. It's very childish, but again, it connects with that youthful energy and the yearning of childhood that the project tries to convey. There Will Be Tears was a surprisingly touching ballad dedicated to Ocean's grandfather. Growing up, Frank didn't have a father around, and the only father figure he knew was his grandfather. And while he states there were there was great memories made with his grandfather, he still thought about his dad and, and missing him, even though he never had a relationship with him. And he thought about his grandfather's death and missing what he didn't know, and it almost made him cry, but he didn't want to cry in front of the other boys because the other boys didn't have dads and they didn't cry. So we get a bit into the mind of a young Frank Ocean. He also samples the Mr. Hudson song of the same name and samples it in a sort of Kanye West way. He lets the chorus of the original song play, then loops a line before Frank steps in and takes over. It, it kind of reminds me of Lost in the World from uh, Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. It's a vulnerable track, and this emotional lyricism would go on to define tracks on Ocean's later projects, some of his more iconic songs, too. And speaking of death and Kanye West, we get to Swim Good, which I view as the most important track on the album. Throughout the song, Frank alludes to death as he goes to a funeral wearing a black suit, but there's also a message of rebirth as he drives to the ocean, takes off the suit, and swims good. And I see this as the baptism of Frank Ocean. He jumps into the ocean as Christopher Edwin Brew and comes out as Frank Ocean. And I do find it interesting that the track ends with the final line, Don't Die, because this could be interpreted as him talking to his past self and wanting to keep the memories of his life before Frank Ocean. Or this could be referencing the new Frank Ocean. Don't let, the, the, don't let Frank Ocean die since he already died to be reborn. My bet is on the former, though, because the theme of the mixtape is about memories, nostalgia, but it could also be the latter. There's, there's honestly an argument for both. Love the production on this one, too. Drums and 808s pack a punch. The organs are subtle, and the piano on the chorus is a lush. One of the best sounding Frank Ocean songs, and one of the best in terms of narrative. Oh, and he makes a reference to 808s and Heartbreak. You know, he, he, that album. Uh, that's why I said, speaking of Kanye West. In every nook and cranny of this mixtape, you will find immersive storytelling. 
imaginative and daring production choices, and an enthralling figure at the center. Ocean barely has a social media presence. He has an Insta that he updates every so often, and even then he will delete uh, a lot of the, or archive, a lot of the pictures that he posted onto Insta. Then there's his Tumblr, but I'm not sure how often that gets updated either. I'm pretty sure it's abandoned. Um, And he doesn't really like to do interviews. He didn't submit Blonde to the Grammys, and he disappears in between project releases. Uh, The reason he does this is because he wants to live his life. He wants to gather experiences. The best example of this behavior is after the release of Channel Orange. There was radio silence from Ocean for four years, and in that time he threw parties in England and spent time in the suburbs of Tokyo and then came back to tell us about it in Blonde. And people ate that shit up including me. He did that because he understands people love a good story, and he definitely understood that while making this project. Whether it's the story of divorce on American Wedding, or wishing for a connection with your father on There Will Be Tears, or just reminiscing about the good old days on Strawberry Swing, Frank excels at making memories or dreams cinematic. He's good at making you feel like you lived them, and that's why I think Nostalgia Ultra is a phenomenal piece of music, one that stands up there with Channel Orange and Blonde. If you haven't listened to this mixtape and are a fan of Frank Ocean or consider yourself a fan of Channel Orange or Blonde or any other project you've listened from him, then check this one out immediately. And now I'm interested, where do you rank Nostalgia Ultra among Frank's other works? What are some of your favorite songs from Nostalgia Ultra? You can let me know on Twitter, on Instagram, at Sound Encounters, or you can send me an audio message on anchor.fm forward slash sound encounters, soundencounters.com. There's a link in the podcast description that'll take you to where you need to go. As for me, I feel like Nostalgia Ultra is my second favorite Frank Ocean project behind Blonde. Blonde was my favorite, my first, uh, it is my favorite, but it was my first Frank Ocean project. And I wish I could listen to that project all over again for the first time because Blonde is freaking phenomenal definitely one of the best albums of the last decade that may surprise some of you but to be honest i haven't really given channel orange and endless the attention it requires so it's easier for me to place nostalgia ultra as my number two but after listening to nostalgia ultra and remembering how fantastic blonde is i definitely am going to check out channel orange and endless again uh just to see where they rank in terms of Frank Ocean's projects. And as for my favorite albums on this project, I gotta say We All Try, Dust, and Swim Good are definitely my top three. They're just great songs, great production, amazing lyricism. That's why I love them. Again, if you want to let me know your favorite songs in Nostalgia Ultra and where it ranks in Frank Ocean's discography, go to at SoundCounters on Twitter and Instagram or send me a voice message because I would love to continue this Frank Ocean discussion. And that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Make sure to tune in next week for another exciting installment. I have another guide to an artist coming up. But it's not just any artist. It's a a legendary underground rapper. So you got that to look forward to. In the meantime, you can follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram pages with the handle at Sound Encounters. I post updates and share music memes on those accounts. And I interact with the lovely people who give my posts a like and a comment. You can also send me a voice message through Anchor to recommend a topic I should talk about 
or you could give me some feedback. And if you do, I'll give you a shout out on the show. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash soundencounters or soundencounters.com or follow the link in the podcast description to send your message. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and that too could be featured in an upcoming episode. All right, that about wraps it up. Rock on music explorers. I'll see you next week. Ciao.